peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. Welcome back to another Softly Performance Podcast. What's going on, guys? Bringing you an awesome guest today. She is... A registered performance dietitian. I hope I didn't screw that up. We talked about it before the show, but I'm going to go ahead and have her do the full intro. But before we move into that, some admin points. And usually, whenever I do podcasts, Matt is always doing the admin points, but I'm going to go ahead and send it. Hey, anything we talk about today is not going to be an association with the DOD or the government. And these are uh, our guests' thoughts on her own and how we view things. So, again, I'm excited to go ahead and bring you this awesome guest. She's, like I said, has a wealth of knowledge and experience in terms of not just from the tactical world of uh, working with soldiers and just the tactical population, but as well in the collegiate setting. So the floor is yours, Diana. Please go ahead and drop all the intro that you like. Oh, man. it's a lot to live up to. Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, so my name is Diana Wynn, and I am a tactical performance dietitian. Um, again, just like um, has been echoed, these views that I provide today are mine and mine alone. They're not um, not under the position of the United States Department of Defense. Um, so I bring to you about 12 years of collegiate nutrition experience. So I worked in at three different universities um, for about 12 years and then decided to jump, jump over to the tactical world in 2020 of all the years. Um, and been, it's been a great time so far. I love to be able to provide a different level of nutrition to a different population and blending the worlds of sports nutrition, performance nutrition um, with all the different needs that are present there. Hmm. That's a lot to unpack. Just kidding. <laughs> Um, we, so we've been trying to get you on the show for quite some time now. Our schedules have kind of been all over the place. We're running a bunch of stuff on our end. You're busy with what you're doing on your end. And it's, it's great to have you on the show finally because of the conversations that we have had offline. We've been able to, you know, one, understand each other's language as a whole when we communicate and talk about performance and we talk about nutrition. And the reason why I do view nutrition as such a important role in someone's life is because of the fact of, like you said, in 2020, 2020 hit, and it caused a lot of problems for a lot of people, but it also caused a lot of problems in terms of how we view nutrition, how we view food. Um, I think everyone started having a little bit more time on their hands, especially in the tactical, in the tactical world and the tactical population. And, you know, we started kind of seeing people, you know, go different routes. We saw people either start just binge eating because they had nothing to do. So that's kind of what happened. And now we're seeing everyone kind of come back out of um, out of that bubble and trying to perform. And again, some individuals in the military didn't have to worry about that, but a majority of people did. And when we come and look at nutrition, we can go and see nutrition being a thing that harms us, but also as it can heal us. And that is something that's really important to me, especially when it comes to working with a tactical professional is that like we are put in crazy situations. We are exposed to high levels of chemicals and different types of uh, stress that ultimately we end up not really focusing on nutrition. doesn't become a thing. It just becomes a necessity of calorie input, I guess you would say. And it's cool in a, in, in a way of us conversating all the way up to this point of, yes, you understand that it's calorie input. We understand that but we can also generate a better awareness of what kind of calories we put into our system. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you hit a several good points there. Um, yeah, we were majorly affected by, uh, COVID, you know, with, 
with our athletes having to go into quarantine for a period of time, uh, not having access to certain things, um, being off their normal schedule. Um, so yeah, that's been a huge influence on their ability to maintain readiness, which is a big part of what I do is to uh, prepare these athletes for a deployment or for whatever they may have coming up. Um, and nutrition is a big part of that. I think that still kind of gets lost within this population because it's so ingrained in the tactical athlete to perform and to train and to ruck and to do all these uh, uh, activities that are related to um, training. Um, but they don't really think about what happens outside of training. Even within you know, the most elite of the elite, they focus so much on the exercise portion, which maybe is two, three hours of their day, that they're still missing the, the component that happens the 22, 23 other hours of the day. So then you tack on sleep. Optimal sleep is between seven and nine hours a night. How many of them are getting adequate sleep? That to me is kind of the bottom of the pyramid if you are not getting adequate sleep, nothing else is really going to be functioning at an optimal level, including what you eat. It could lead to um, changes in ghrelin and leptin, which are hunger satiety hormone, which would cause you to eat more than you normally should, which could, again, as you guys may know, lead to weight gain, um, along with glucose imbalance and other metabolic changes that we don't want um, as a result of that. Um, so sleep, if they're getting enough sleep, I always tell them if you're getting adequate sleep, that gives you more bandwidth to deal with all the other things you have to deal with, whether it's uh, high cognitive load, high physical load, um, or both together. Um, that is kind of step number one, followed by, of course, everybody likes to talk about the macronutrients. Okay. Yeah. What do I mean when I say macronutrients, proteins, carbs, and fats, that's literally where we get energy from. Um, not, not the, the bang energy drinks, not the, you know, caffeine stimulus that you're, that they're downing early in the morning or late at night to kind of sludge through the day. Um, so trying to encourage them and teach them what research is showing in how to use caffeine in an appropriate way to amplify their training, amplify their cognitive abilities. Uh, reaction time, but also to use nutrition in an appropriate way and make sure they're, you know, they, you have a solid foundation of nutrition. Um, you can't get into the nitty gritty, fun, cool, you know, sexy stuff with nutrition if you don't have a solid foundation of hydration, of sleep, of balancing protein throughout the day, of adequate carbohydrate, adequate fiber intake, fruits and vegetables, all that basic stuff that we could just kind of shrug off that is so important. And if you can develop a good habit of doing that on a daily basis, not just Monday through Friday, but you know, got to include that Saturday, Sunday too. Um, if you're doing that most often, you're doing pretty well. Yeah. And one thing I want to highlight from all of that, it, the idea of consistency, right? And that was one of the, one of the questions that I left after the TSAT conference that we ended up uh, meeting at. And it was this idea of readiness, right? Everyone keeps throwing around this word, what readiness is. And I, it was like, for me, it's like everyone's has this word readiness, but what does it, what does it mean? What is it, how you do, how do we define it? Um, and one big thing that you just talked about in there and when I, as I take it as a whole and comprehend it is consistency, 
right? So being able to be consistent with understanding the types of food that you should be eating when maybe you're not out on patrol, maybe when you're not out in the field training, maybe when you're not out on deployment. And we understand that working in those environments, specific environments cater to having a little bit higher quality foods. Um, and I think it's just an idea of awareness around the idea of like, okay, cool. Like if I'm not out in the field having to eat my MREs because I'm not on a two-day, three-day patrol, or I'm not in my cop car where I have to be in it for two days um, and do an observation because I'm with a specific unit, or I'm patrolling. And it's like, well, guess what? You can pack your food if you make that a choice. So ultimately, it comes down to, again, I keep looking at it from this idea of, of human behavior. All we're really doing is teaching the soldier or the human how to go ahead and view food to fuel them for their job. It, it, it's... It's, you know, it's no different than realistically when you go and look at, you know, um, evolution back in the past, we go and look at what do people use, they used to fuel themselves to hunt, right? The only reason why they ate specific types of foods and they did their thing was to hunt. Well, for us to do our job, especially in the tactical setting, because everybody has a high level of stress when they comes to it. Well, they need to fuel themselves to that as well as they need to have um, behavioral habits that are going to help relieve and offer up more energy to where, like you said, if they're sleeping better, which is really cool that you blended in the idea of sleep into nutrition because everything is very uh, isolated within the strength and conditioning world, right? Meaning you have, when we talk about sleep, it's just sleep. When we talk about nutrition, it's just nutrition. When we talk about uh, strength conditioning, it's straight strength conditioning. When we talk about, you know, what is the nervous system doing? We have just that. And when we talk about mental health, it's just that. But what you're doing is you're kind of blending it all together ultimately, to help well round this idea of educating someone in nutrition? Yeah, you know, when I, when I talk to, you know, collegiate athletes, or now tactical athletes, I, I have to bring it into their world. So, you know, in the collegiate environment, everything is very controlled, everything is very coordinated. I know exactly what the temperature is, where wherever we're playing, I know the environment, I know the stressors, I know the timing of things, we're literally down to like, the minute of every schedule, depending on what sport you're working. Um, whereas a tactical athlete, you go into environments that, you know, performance dietitians don't always, are, are not always privy to see. So that's when I really, really rely on my soldiers to kind of help me help them tell me what you're going into so I can translate nutrition in an appropriate way. Okay, so you're going to be gone for this length of time. You're going on, you know, this is how long your general missions are. Here's how you should fuel for that mission. You know, if you know that you're going to be on a mission that's going to last 12 hours, that's going to take a significant amount of glycogen. You're going to use a significant amount of energy. Are you packing enough food for that? Are you considering um, factors like noisy wrappers? Is that going to be a problem wherever you are? Um, but also keeping in mind that, you know, for a soccer player who competes in a 90 minute match, they're probably going to deplete their glycogen stores. And that's just soccer. You now you translate that to the tactical soldier, you know, you add in significant stressors, you add environmental challenges, you add load, you add uh, cognitive stress. Now you're, you're probably depleting that much faster. And so we need to make sure that we're fueling for that and fueling for survival because, you know, it, I, that's really how I look at it. It's more than just performance, it's function. So, you know, I try not to, I try to translate health to them as yeah. function. I think that's how a lot of them see it. You know, I kind of go back to my three P's, 
prepare, prepare them for deployment, preserve them for function, make sure you're functional inside and out, and then prevent, try and prevent any injuries that may happen. Um, and nutrition ties into all that. And that's why I highlight sleep. That's why I highlight, you know, strength and conditioning. It's why, you know, I blend really well with PT. Um, it's a very holistic approach with performance nutrition, looking at the body as a whole and really understanding what's going on physiologically. So I know what to prepare this soldier for. Um, even looking at something like RMR, your RMR is going to be, you know, between five and 20% higher if you're in certain environments, whether it's extreme tropical weather or extreme cold it could be a little bit higher. So we may need to adjust the macronutrient composition or the meal timing for that athlete. Real quick, guys, RMR stands for resting metabolic rate, um, just for those, but you're welcome. Uh, you know, so tying in this idea of the equation for readiness, right? In a way, I view that now we go ahead and take the collegiate athlete or the professional athlete, they have a very sustainable environment, meaning that they know that in the arena that they're going to be operating, or let's go ahead and go into tactical population, the area of operation they're going to be operating in. Unfortunately, when it comes to the tactical professional, that sustainability is quite um, undulating, meaning that at times, and we can look at it at a scale of one to 10 of sustainability, at times, if they're back home working with you, their sustainability is a 10, if they really want it to be, right? Meaning that's the best they can meal prep, they can do all these things. And then when they go into do, let's say, a deployment where they have to live off the land, their sustainability now is dictated off of the land, meaning that can be anywhere between a two, three, or four, which is which is ultimately is if we can go ahead and educate, again, educate the soldier or the tactical professional and understand what consistency is by understanding food when they get put into these un these unsustainable environments they can sustain within them, which ultimately leads them to be ready to operate. But that takes experience and takes practice and it takes individuals like yourself who can blend it all together and, and kind of be like, hey, look, this is what we're doing. Ultimately, it's not just for your performance. We're talking about health here, right? Absolutely. You know, I try to teach them that, you know, I'm trying to give you a shield, armor you from the inside out. You know, you we take so much care in our, our, our tactical athletes take so much care of their equipment, their gear. Um, but they are so quick to dismiss the basic nutrition steps to maintain their own body. Um, and they just rely on, you know, Oh, I, I'm going to, you know, ruck for this amount of time. I'm going to train for this amount of time. I can go eat whatever, drink whatever on the weekend or tonight, whatever. It's all going to cancel out. Doesn't really work that way. Um, you know, so I tell them, treat your body like a car. So be mindful of those check engine lights, get it inspected, um, by way of blood work, by way of regular visits to your doctor, take care of your mental health, take care of your stress, come see your dietitian who can help give you the tools you need to protect yourself and build up that internal shield. So when you do go to these arduous environments, you are much better off than somebody who maybe neglected the basic things. You know, and you know what's crazy too is the fact that when it comes to these basic things and the understanding of them all, it, unfortunately, the conventional military doesn't have the the privilege to have performance dietitians work within their units. We're growing to that. We're seeing that in the Army with the H2F program. We're seeing that in the Marine Corps with their, you know, their Marine Force Fit programs and all those other things. And it's slowly coming about. But what's cool about us about, you know, with Softly is we're able to put these information into people's hands who don't regularly have it. And 
again, it's the same idea here where it's just like, hey, look, all we're trying to do is educate and bring health to your life. And understand that this isn't just a one-path uh, one system. It has multiple paths as a whole. So moving on from that, because I know that we can go through all of that as a whole, but the pre-show we talked a lot about, you know, your your transferability from the collegiate setting into the tactical world and and how there is a lot of parallels from the collegiate and professional world in terms of strength conditioning and the physiology and the psychological piece from there that do carry over into the tactical world. But the problem I do believe that's missing is the the universal language to go ahead and fill that gap with a bridge to allow that to happen. Um, and and it's and for again from our conversations the past few, you know couple weeks leading up to this podcast, that's all we've really talked about is how do we develop that bridge to fill that gap. And I would love to hear some of your insights into what you do to build that bridge. Yeah, and you know it's good that you mentioned the HGF because. <clears throat> As these jobs open up, I think you're going to see more dietitians kind of uh, jumping from one setting to another, whether it's collegiate to tactical or private practice to tactical or any other setting that could be. Um, so they're going to go through the same growing curve that I have and still am. You know, it's almost when I before I or as I um, arrived, uh, my colleagues advised me that it's probably going to take about an 18 month onboarding process just to kind of get a grasp of my unit and the language and the lingo. And I 100% believe that. I spent a lot of time reading, listening, watching, observing, just like our tactical athletes do. Um, because I, I don't want to, I want, I want them to understand that I, I do want to learn. I'm always a sponge. I learn every day. I've learned just from talking to you. Um, and I plan on continuing to do that. So I'm always adapting my message so that, you know, I'm going to keep hitting these people. Um, eventually, like, I'm going to say the right word. I'm going to say the right phrase. I'm going to be in the right place uh, where the, it's going to click. And they're going to really start to understand how they can start applying what I'm giving them um, for whatever they may be doing. And, you know, just like for what I did and what collegiate dietitians do in the college setting where, they're not sitting in an office. They're not waiting for athletes to come sit down with them. Um, I do still do that because I do still do one-on-one -on -one appointments, which are very important. Um, however, getting out in the field and being immersed in the environment when it's appropriate is really important. That is the fastest way to really learn what your population is up against, whether you're in a sports setting and so you can better understand the game, match, or event that your athletes are competing in, or whether it's in this current setting with tactical athletes. Um, what time, what does it feel like out there? What are their, what's their environment? What are their resources? What do they have access to? Is there food available? Is there water available? Um, these are all things that dietitians can observe and really bring back and apply with their tactical athletes. Um, so I think, you know, it's important to uh, um, listen to the soldiers um, and really be able to translate that performance nutrition physiology to this different setting. Like I said, there are lots of different environmental factors that affect you physiologically and affect your nutrition. And so I tailor nutrition around that and I do my best to tailor nutrition for, you know, my specific soldier needs. Yeah. You know, what's really cool too, is it, you said this uh, uh, a minute ago was the idea of like really picking the soldier's brain and letting them tell you what it is that they're experiencing. 
I had a conversation the other day when we were talking about observation logs. You know, in the reconnaissance community, when you go into a hide site and you're on glass and on security and you're observing the objective, there's an observation log that you keep there at all times for whenever you rotate through because um, it gives you insight to what the area is going on, X, Y, and Z. It's very similar here where as, you know, the strength conditioning coach or as the, the performance dietitian who is now no longer in the field, having an observation log is probably... 10 times more vital for us, meaning, hey, give us your observation log of what it is and how we can help you from a strength conditioning perspective or from a nutritional perspective. And I think that's something that I'm finding a lot of coaches are starting to do a little bit better. Um, remember, we had a conversation the other day about fat-adapted athletes going into selections, especially if they're a little bit bigger um, or experiencing this type of weather that's coming up, especially during this block of the season in multiple areas. You know, we got, I had a buddy reach out to me about one of his, his athletes in Coronado and going through buds and, and doing that thing. And he's not able to keep calories in. We we're like, well, how do we train before? And we had that conversation the day prior about fat adapting, uh, uh individual going into, uh, ranger selection. And you saw, uh, uh, you saw a very minimal change in body composition through that approach. And that like hit home to me because I've been talking about fat adaption, uh, training, but as well as like, you can do it through eating and it's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that you're keto. It doesn't mean that you go down any of these special fucking diets we're talking about. We're literally talking. Yeah. Like it, it's no, we're not doing that. We're actually working from, I and mean, we're, 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 making your metabolic system that much more efficient by making it more flexible, meaning that if I go ahead and put in carbohydrates, glucose at the times I need it, it's actually being absorbed and used as energy. When I go ahead and put protein in, it is now being broken down and utilized to rebuild the muscles as I've broken them down. Now I know that fat is utilized as the furnace that keeps energy going all the time. So whenever I hear individuals talk about have really undulations of energy throughout the day, I automatically go and like, there's some kind of metabolic inefficiency there already. Why? Because the body doesn't know how to switch between carbohydrates and fats. So we end up becoming very carb dependent. And, and it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Like I understand that we need carbohydrates, but what I'm saying though is like for us to be sustainable, we have to be able to use all three macronutrients in a very efficient manner. And I don't think that we're there anymore. And I think by you sharing light on that, us and then me sharing light with him and us talking and kind of creating that that triangle, we actually kind of hit home on something. I feel like we kind of solidified being like, yeah, maybe we should start getting individuals to be a little bit more fat adapted going into these selections. Yeah, and you know, you hit on a couple of good points. Um, and again, it kind of goes back to the specificity of what the tactical soldier needs to be doing and where they're located and what their, what their job duties are. If you're in the cold in the mountains, your diet could require up to 50% calories from fat. Obviously we don't want you, you know, eating a pound of butter and bacon every day. <laughs> you know, there are better sources of fat that you can get, but just saying like that person is going to require more fat than maybe the athletes that I currently work with. Um, you know, so the, what I tell them is that for when I write meal plans, uh, the protein amount doesn't change that much unless you are injured and mobilized for whatever reason, then I will spike protein up to make sure that we're taking care of that. Um, uh, but generally what does change is mostly carbohydrate. So depending on your activity level, but depending on what you're preparing for, depending on what your body weight, body composition goals are, 
fat will fluctuate, fluctuate carbohydrate either going up or down. Fat, again, doesn't change that much. It's about a gram per kg uh, or kilogram. Uh, for most people, it will be dialed back a little bit if you're trying to lose weight, or it could be dialed up. If you're one of those very active, high-performing soldiers in the mountains, you're going to need to increase that quite a bit. Um, and I think it's important to know that your body's most efficient fuel source is always going to be carbohydrate. Always going to be carbohydrate. However, you may need to make some adaptations depending on what you need to be doing. Um, your brain alone requires about 110 grams of carbs a day. So that's about 440 calories um, of carbohydrate sources. And when I say carbs, you know, we're not talking just pasta and bread. We're talking rice and quinoa and fruits and dairy products and beans, legumes, and lots and lots of foods have carbohydrate. Dark um, chocolate? Uh, dark chocolate, yes. Dark chocolate's a really good antioxidant, 70% or higher. Um, I enjoy two squares a day. It's my thing. I like it. Um, it's good for me. Um, but yeah, it's, I also enjoy it too. So twofold. Um, but yeah, so it, what, basically what I'm saying is that your diet is dependent on what you need to do. So again, preparing you for a school, are we preparing you for, um, deployment? Um, so yeah, some, one of my guys who recently completed ranger school, um, he did great. And I think that part of that is, you know, the human performance team is influencing um, the hydration a little bit more. It was a really, really hot summer. Um, <clears throat> and I think that they're doing a really good job of educating how much to hydrate, when to hydrate, what products to use at what time. I think that was part of it. But also he was really, really into nutrition before he went. He made sure that his body composition was where it needed to be. He is big into um appropriate food timing, appropriate food amount. Luckily, he had good support at home. Uh, and by the time he got back to me, which was probably about five days after he finished ranger school, his body composition was almost exactly what it was before he went into ranger school. Uh, now, keep in mind, that was a five-day difference. So, and I told him this, he was probably a little bit lower in body fat, muscle mass, and all that stuff prior to me coming back, or prior to him coming back to me because he was a little dehydrated, underfed, uh, glycogen depleted. So that is what came back. Um, you don't gain muscle that quick, uh, but rehydrating, refeeding the body, and then came back to me, results look great. And now we're just going to continue to rebuild him because he's still in that, he's still about a month out. So this is still kind of his body re-sinking yeah. to normal as far as testosterone, stress hormones, all those things are going to be important um, and that's, that's really one of my main things is getting these guys ready for these different selection courses that they're doing right before and then right after and then beyond. Yeah. It, it's crazy. Cause we are literally now taking soldiers and we're taking Marines. We're taking everyone across the board who are trying to like enter a higher level of the, of the tactical population world. And you're starting to see how much of a difference it actually makes when you focus on a lot of these things before going. Um, you know, it, it, it decreases your chance of injury. It obviously increases your chance for success rate, which I mean, why wouldn't you not want to do those kinds of things? And granted, not everyone has access to all of that. But again, they do have access if it's just a choice to go ahead and choose to start understanding and learning that. And it's something that, again, I keep going back to that because it's like, man, where I was when I went through selection, when I did my thing, like it, 
there was none of that. It was literally just grind, get after it, and you're just going to make it through the sure will of physical uh, output, right? And like whatever your, your mind thought about it now, but now we're looking at these guys and it's like, no, man, you got to make sure that if you want to do a, have a long career, you have to understand that like coming out of a selection like that, and I've worked with guys come out of Ranger School and I've given them anywhere between a six to eight week regeneration phase um, of training because of I understand what it does to your system, especially when I started running ultra marathons and I'm running a hundred mile races and I'm, I'm putting myself through, you know, 30 hours of movement, my endocrine system and, and the, and, and what my body is going through for the next four to five, six weeks, I can feel it. And like you said, it, it, it it's, it's crazy because like I take a, a tactical professional when I look at someone like a ranger or look at someone who's going through buds or recon school or raider or however you look at it, they're, they're this endurance athlete who has to be very, very fucking powerful um, as a whole, but they have to be able to utilize their energy in a very efficient way. And that's kind of, you know, when I bring it at full circle, and it's not always just about the nutrition, it's like, it's about energy. And I understand that energy is going to go ahead and ultimately help fuel me, like you said, the car. So let's continue shifting fires because I, I, we can keep going down this path. But something I wanted to go ahead and bring out too was we talked a little bit about supplementation. And you wanted to talk quite a bit about it because it's something that we're hearing. And I wanted to talk a little bit about it because it's something we're seeing a lot, especially now. Everyone's really quick, especially in the tactical professional setting, to go ahead and put a Band-Aid over something and keep moving forward. Um, and you know, I, I'm not against supplements. I think they're great. I think they can be a very um, healthy thing moving forward if we can utilize them in a very healthy relationship. Um, instead of, you know, Hey, right away, maybe you, I'll let you open it up. But yeah, we, we talked about creatine and you know, that's something that I think that a lot of people, and you said it yourself that I want to cover. So let's kind of dive down that and see what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, and I will tell you, it is so common for somebody to walk in my office or any dietitian's office. And just the first question they have is what can I take to make me do X, Y, Z, run faster, lift more, go harder, whatever it may be. Um, and so we kind of have to pull them back and, okay, well, that's cool, but what are you currently doing? What does your life look like? How are you sleeping? That's when I tie back in the sleep portion. Are you managing your stress? Are you eating enough? Are we just basically getting enough calories? We find with a lot of these elite um, tactical athletes, a lot of them aren't eating enough. They're not eating enough. And if you're not eating enough, then you're running the risk of nutrient deficiencies. You you may not be just getting the solid foundation. So if you're not getting enough calories, your body's not, the whatever supplement you put in there is never going to undo that. You know, on an average day, most of us eat about three pounds of food. And that, you know, five gram supplement is only going to do so much if your body's still kind of, you know, 80% there. Um so I think that's really important. And other things to keep in mind, and I tell my guys this all the time, is better living through chemistry still requires better living. So there are supplements that you can take to help you with many things. But if you're still, you know, staying up late, getting four hours of sleep at night, not managing your stress appropriately, drinking like a fish, smoking like a chimney, doing all these other things, it's, it's not going to help to maximize your progress yeah. and what you're trying to do there, there needs to be a better way. Um, or also if you're, if you're just downing fast foods, skipping breakfast every day, that's going to catch up to you. And if we're talking about, you know, preserving the health and wellness and function of these operators, we need to think short-term and long-term. 
um, there are probably somewhere up the words of 50,000 supplements on the market, 50,000 supplements on Damn. the market. And only a handful of them have been researched enough for me to advocate for and to recommend. Um, so that's, that's a big, that's a big wake up. And I think something else to keep in mind for these young soldiers that listen to this is when you go into certain shops and you listen to the sales rep and you, and you just tell them who you are and you're like, I want to do this. They're going to point you to whatever is going to make that shop money. Um, and that's the benefit of talking to a dietitian for those who have access to one is that my job is to translate the science and apply it to the appropriate population. Um, I'm not, you know, there's no money being made from the recommendations that I have. I'm not tied to any particular company. There's no like um, compensation coming my way. I, I have the soldier in mind and whatever he or she's trying to accomplish. Um, so yeah, so creatine is, is very, very widely used and very, very widely studied. Um, but despite the many countless research articles that are out there, there's still this fear behind it. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's kind of crazy to think, but it's not an anabolic steroid. It's not a steroid. It's a nutrient. You actually get it from eating meat, eating fish. Um, but, you know, this is a great example of something that you really just can't get through your diet if you need the ergogenic benefits, which means it could benefit your performance. Um, because in order to reach the recommended roughly five grams a day of creatine uh, for the maintenance phase, you're looking at maybe six burgers a day. And I don't know any dietitian out there who's recommending six burgers a day. That's way too much red meat. That's way too much fat. It's just not realistic. That's too much food. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. So we need to, that's something that, it, you know, would be better timed around cool. training and it's much easier just to you know put it in some lukewarm water um doesn't need to be mixed with anything in particular but you know many people can benefit from creatine for um what it can do for not only um helping with training and increasingly muscle mass but also brain health yeah, we're also same. focusing on how can we help your brain um, but mix it in lukewarm water, make sure it fully uh, dissolves, and then you can drink that before, during, or after your workout. The research is still out as far as which is better, whether to have it before or after. So I tell them, you know, the research is good as far as taking it around your workout. Whether you take it before or after is personal preference. It's whatever works best with what your rhythm is. Just keep doing that consistently. Um, but yeah, so this is one that can really benefit, like I said, not just for physical health, but mental health as well. So even my guys who go through really intense cognitive courses, I still recommend creatine to many of them to help with that load. Cool. Cool. So, it, so creatine is one of them and I've, I've, I don't use much creatine nowadays. I've used to back in the past and I know a few athletes who do, um, but the idea of like cycling on and off of it, right? Like that's a big thing too. Is that a, is that a myth or is that something you've seen that like, yeah, it actually does matter when we cycle off of creatine? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And again, there really hasn't been research done that I'm aware of with cycling creatine. Again, it's not a steroid. It's not a steroid. So there's no cycle prescription for creatine. It's just, it depends on what your goal is. So if you, if you are injured and immobilized, um, it's probably not indicated for you to be taking creatine if you're not moving. 
So because it's not an anabolic steroid, it's not going to work unless you do. You still have to be doing some kind of resistance training. However, if that immobilized person now goes into PT and is now going to rehab on whatever was immobilized, now creatine may be beneficial. Um, and I don't want to harp so much on just creatine. I just I want to make sure that I touch on it because I know a lot of people ask me about it. Um, but I will tell you the two things that I recommend for every single soldier who walks through my door is omega threes and vitamin D. Cool. Because we don't get enough of those through our diet, through the Amer standard American diet. Omega threes you can find those in fortified foods. You can find it in salmon, tuna, fatty fish. Um, you can find the derivative, the ALA, in flaxseed, walnuts, some plant products, soy products. Um, but really not a lot of, um, not a lot of that in our diet. And this is really important for, um, cellular health, brain health, just everything, uh, inf inflammation, chronic inflammation. It could be, it could help with protein absorption. So if you're trying to gain lean muscle mass, you know, omega-3s could help you with that. Um, but mainly because it's a nutrient that we're so deficient on, uh, with our diet. And, you know, similar with vitamin D, you can synthesize that naturally from the sun. But for most people, you're maybe only getting adequate sunlight two months out of the year, depending on wow. where you are, longitude, latitude. Um, and again, even for our guys in full uniform, they don't have very much skin exposed. So vitamin D is very, very common deficiency, not just in the tactical world, but also in uh, the general population, population athletes yeah. in general. And it's been so linked to bone health, but it's also tied to immune health, brain function, muscle maintenance, muscle soreness. Um, so it's, it's really, really important. It's a really low-hanging fruit, really yeah. low-hanging fruit. Uh, just get those two, get on that every day, um, just to prevent defici deficiency. That's really the goal. Uh, because yeah. if you are deficient in that, it could impact performance. So it kind of indirectly affects performance uh, but definitely make sure that you guys are um, monitoring that and that's one of those you know check engine lights hey is my vitamin d low i should probably get that checked um, so i know how much i need to take or get a prescription for it if needed um, but that's those are two like non-negotiables take that annually cool, cool. Uh, what i want to talk a little bit about too is when you talk about the tactical professional or the soldier like understand guys this isn't just males this is also females um, and it's something I do want to kind of touch on too, right? Is like this, I, we see a lot of females entering into the tactical professional world. I've worked with quite a few of them. I've helped get them ready for courses and stuff like that. And I, you know, as I've progressed in my coaching career, I found that like, it's not just the programming. It actually comes down to the deficiency in minerals and nutrients within this, the female, uh, physiology aspect, right? When we go to talk about calcium, to help improve and strengthen bone dense, uh, bone strength. We, omega threes, we talk about magnesium. We talk about zinc. We talk about vitamin D. We talk about iron. I mean, the list can go on. And that's something that, you know, really interests me is because of the fact that there's not very much information out for the female tactical professional. Right. And, and I feel like, you know, where you're at in your career right now, you have, you have some really cool, um, perspectives on that because of the fact of working in the collegiate world, as well as like now working here in the tactical professional. And how do you cross those two when you're working with a female athlete or a female? You know? Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. And just like you said, more is coming, but it's unfortunate that most of the research that's out there is on male athletes and male soldiers because there are fewer variables to control. 
know, we have much bigger hormone fluctuations, uh, many more considerations. Um, if you were to do a research study on females, um, so that's generally why they're omitted, uh, which is challenging because that leaves us as practitioners uh, trying to just think back to basic physiology. Okay, same thing as approaching a male. Okay, what are the environments you're encountering? Are you, what does your schedule look like over the next year? Are you deploying soon? Do you have any schools coming up? Um, in many cases, nutrition for females is very different, but also very similar in some ways to males. Um, females uh, need to make sure that they're eating enough. Uh, I saw this, you know, a lot in collegiate population, this uh, fear or resistance towards eating certain things uh, because of weight gain or want an avoidance of strength training programs because they didn't want to get big, uh, which is could not be further from the truth. Uh, females need strength and conditioning. They need to lift things. Uh, they need to understand nutrient timing, um, meaning appropriate carbohydrate, appropriate protein, appropriate fat, um, and just also understand as a female, your body fat percentage is always going to be higher than a male. It's just, it's just physiology, how it, how it is. Um, <clears throat> and understanding that they carry weight differently. Um, but yeah, so even something like carbohydrate for females, it's going to take a female a little bit longer to replete her glycogen stores than a male. Um, she may need higher protein in certain times of the month. Um, but generally speaking, females need to be a lot more diligent about getting adequate protein throughout the entirety of the month um, and not just during a certain time um, because it really does affect the ability to synthesize protein, maintain lean muscle mass, and you know, keep their body composition at a, at a ready state for performance. Yeah. The... You know, it's crazy. The women, the women's side of the house and the tactical population is really fascinating to me because of the unknown variables that we, that we have to deal with all the time. And you hit it pretty well. Like there's fluctuations of hormones. You might need protein at certain different times. And that's something that, you know, I, I got asked by, uh, she's a female strength and conditioning coach also, and she runs her own company. And I was doing some mentorship with her and she asked me a little about the female aspect. And I really couldn't bring much to the table in terms of like the nutrition side of the house or understanding because one, I'm not a female, but second, what I was able to bring was more of the psychological standpoint of like having to work with females and the idea of the confidence that we have to instill in them and letting them know like, hey, it's okay to strength train. It's okay to eat. You know, it's, it's okay to help recover. But the problem we see in the tactical world is you know, we have height and weight standards across the military. There's height and weight standards, I'm sure, within the fire department and the all of those things. So everyone is now dictating their perspective and how they view nutrition based off these height and weight standards that are ultimately just causing problems, right? For, you know, there's a, a female who who weighs 170 pounds, who is 5'8", right? Like, unfortunately, that that there is going to be taping pretty close. Am I wrong or right on that? I think that's, I think it's quite close. Yeah, you're probably about right. And I mean, it's, it's, I, I understand it. It's a very fast way to assess a lot of people. So I understand it. And that's when I try to come in as the performance dietitian and tie in performance. And luckily I have the, I, I have the ability to do a body composition assessment through the InBody 7070. And so I'm able to kind of put some kind of number with that, um, to help them to understand what we can expect. Um, in the general population, if you look at 
general population females are probably somewhere around 30 to 40 percent body fat maybe a little bit higher in some regions uh for female athletes um you're looking at lower obviously depending on what sport so then it goes into are you an endurance athlete or are you uh, an anaerobic athlete or a sprinter or something that requires a lot of power um and the nutrition for both those is going to be different but then you add in the female aspect to it um so it's it's something that i i'm i'm sensitive to again being a female former athlete i guess <laughs> myself uh, it's important to understand that and really look at food as a way to improve performance and just manage it appropriately. Um, and feeding yourself in order to feed uh, what you need to do in your job, uh, whether you are a competitive athlete or a tactical professional. I think one thing to keep in mind, especially for strength and conditioning coaches, um, you know, throughout a female cycle, when she's on her period, that's when she's most closely, you know, physiologically closely to a male. So, but then before her period, she could be likely to more inclined to be at risk for, that's when you might see MCL tears or ligament injuries because of the hormone fluctuations. So nutrition can come in and provide the guidance to help during those phases, as long as they can, and that will help them kind of put two and two together as far as understanding nutrition and their personal cycle, what they're going through, and then kind of put it into perspective with a tape. Like, yes, tape is not going to go away. It's, it's a part of what the military has as a basic assessment. Um, I, I see people like that every now and then. Um, and that's just when it goes back to, do we have a strong foundation in nutrition? Do we understand what we need to do there? Um, you know, it's, it's not a perfect system, but it does kind of give us a little bit of a check engine light. I keep bringing it back to that, but it's a check engine light. Um, so let's, let's take a look at what we need to do to make sure that we're functioning appropriately. Yeah. So the next point I want to go and talk about is looking at, psychological trauma causing GI issues. So dealing with TBIs, PTSD, that kind of trauma, just stuff that residual trauma, residual stress, or whatever it is that we have not worked through that is causing actual GI issues and metabolic dysfunction. Is there anything that you've seen from your end this far working in, in, in the field? And, and how is that viewed in terms of like resetting that individual? Um, I, it's, I know that's a multifaceted answer, but from your view, like with you working with individuals, like how are we looking at a way of eating? Because I don't look at things in diets and I don't look at, I don't look at it as like eating habits. I've just gotten out of the idea of diets. It's, like, it's just what is the eating habit in which that someone has to go ahead and help relieve that, that kind of stress from a psychological that's causing so much on the gut? Yeah, and that's, that's a really good point. Um, I see this is, this is one thing that they don't like to talk about a lot, but every single person who I see has some level of gut issue, whether it's, you know, needing to train their gut for, um, for their activity or their mission, meaning, you know, appropriate carbohydrate at the right time. So you don't have, you know, GI distress during an event. Um, but generally speaking, the gut brain access. So I always talk about the gut from North to South from mouth all the way to the end. And what are the problems that could happen between North and South? And what can I do as a performance dietitian to 
again, give you a shield to help to armor that. Um, gut issues are extremely common, and it's a combination of stress, environmental toxins, poor diet, um, over-medication. All these things can really disrupt your gut, um, and even a diet that is high in protein, so like the carnivore diet. If somebody goes on a carnivore diet for 48 hours, you're going to drastically change the gut microbiome or the bacteria that's in our gut within 48 hours. And that can drastically shift the nutrients that you're able to process and absorb, uh, which then can have a you know cascading effect on your immune health, on brain health. Uh, poor GI, poor GI function and health has been directly tied to depression, and mental health, anxiety. Um, so these are all big things that I see very frequently in the athletic population, but especially here because we tie in a lot more environmental toxins that, you know, in a controlled clean, uh, sport environment, you may not have yeah. the same things. You're, you're definitely not going to have the same things. Um, so that's when I go back to preparing guys or girls, soldiers for deployment for um, selections. Do we have enough gut health to be able to handle that? Are you bringing appropriate things with you to help keep your gut healthy, as healthy as it can be while you're away? Um, but what things, what can you do to help improve your gut health on a, on a daily basis? Number one, dietary fiber. So really want to aim for about 25 to 40 grams of dietary fiber a day. And it's not just like your prune juice, people. It is like everything. It's wheat, it's oats, it's legumes, it's nuts, it's seeds, it's beans. It is uh, a variety of, the more variety you get, the better. Because the more variety you get in your diet, the more variety you're gonna of bacteria you're gonna have in your gut, which is a good thing. Um, because we have good bacteria, we have bad bacteria, and if you put bad food in more frequently, more of the good bacteria are gonna die off because they're gonna be starved. They're not gonna have any nutrients. Um, so the bad bacteria will overgrow, which can lead to the breakdown of the mucosa and the lining in the gut, and can lead to leaky gut, which translates to gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, all these fun things that nobody likes to admit to, but everybody has it at some point. Damn. Um, and this is something that can, it, it could prevent somebody from going to school. It could prevent somebody from being deployed. It could prevent you from completing a mission. If you are down and out because of GI issues, that's a big problem. Um, so it's important for, for people to do what they can and maintain that. Again, variety is best. Fiber is best. Um, decreasing the the toxins that you can control: alcohol, tobacco, saturated fat. Um, those are all going to be contributing factors to poor gut health. So you want to make sure that you are arming your gut, which will in turn arm your body with a good immune system and good mental performance. Yeah, man, we could keep going down this all these paths all day. I and I just. I, I'm picking your brain right now because of the fact of it's just kind of, I guess you can, stars are kind of aligned right now. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But I've, it, it's it's aligning because of just the association of like, oh, I've felt those things before. I've had conversations with individuals before about these things. And it ultimately just kind of goes ahead and it's like, wow, you're right. Everything starts at what goes in my mouth and it affects North and South, meaning we know that to have a healthy heart, you have to he eat a very healthy diet. To have a healthy brain, you have to eat a very healthy diet. To have a healthy gut, you have to eat a healthy diet. 
it's it's that simple, right? Like it, it ultimately becomes that simple. And if we consume ourselves with low qualities of food that have no energy in it, what does it do to us as a whole? It just ends up sucking us dry because we're spending so much energy and trying to break down or whatever you want to look at it. Now, I, I'm, I appreciate your time today. Um, we can, we can keep going. And I think I'm going to probably bring you on for a part two because of the fact that we can go ahead and talk about a lot of other things. And I have some other questions, but I want to, I want to save them for later. But again, you know, we covered a lot today. We talked a lot about how we should one view nutrition in the tactical profession, as well as, you know, what it looks like when it comes to, you know, balancing and making your system that much more adapted to handling different types of calories, right? To where, like you said, your primary source of energy is going to come from carbohydrates. Well, if we're only eating carbohydrates, it no longer becomes that primary source of energy. Our body over time does what? It becomes accustomed to it. So we have to create some flexibility in there. And one thing I do want to highlight, right? When we talk about like becoming fat adapted, that isn't just through like nutrition by having a high fat diet. No, this comes through a, a training in, in terms of like low aerobic training efforts in a, in a very fast state. And am I saying that you should fast for 48 hours and go, no, it's like, Hey, if you ate, you know, your, your eating habits are done at eight o'clock that night and you have a run at 7am in the morning, you know, don't put anything in before that run, maybe some water and, and some electrolytes and get out for that 60 minute run, keeping your heart rate below a specific beats per minute. I usually recommend staying below 150 uh, for that heart rate and go with that. You can do it on a bike, you can do it in the pool. But what that does ultimately is it helps keep, one, you don't stress the system. Two, you get to then utilize all the glycogen first and then it kicks in with utilizing um, the fat. But what we're teaching the system there to do is to be flexible, to go ahead and use one of the, the fuel sources and then go ahead and balance back before the two. And then afterwards, obviously, you fuel yourself and refuel in the right way. But you know, at the end of the day, we come and look at it, supplements, you nailed it, creatine, we can talk about all those other things, omega-3, we can talk about vitamin D. And again, there's things that we know, but do we ever do them? Yeah, exactly. Like, basic stuff. Most people generally know what healthy food is and what unhealthy food is. But yet you still see a huge discrepancy between knowing and then action. So yeah. I try to bridge the gap and bring it into, okay, what's reality? What can you do? Um, so if you're, you know, if you're out there in an exercise, it's obviously not realistic to bring, you know, chicken and broccoli and brown rice. So, okay, what can we do in that situation? But on a daily basis, um, you guys are busy. It's, it's a busy world. We all live busy lives. We have families, we have work schedule, we have, you know, things outside of work that are sucking up our time. And then, oh, by the way, I still need to get some sleep too. Um, so, you know, myself and dietitians in, in general, we try to, or we, we work with our population, our soldiers, to be able to bring it back at home and try to make it easy and break it down. And again, start with that foundation of consistency. Consistency really is key. Um, there, There's no magic pill. There's, you know... It, if it one thing to keep in mind is that if you try to do a fad diet, what's the cost of that fad diet? So we mentioned keto and I won't go down too far this rabbit hole, but if you want to do something really quickly, if you need to do something really quickly, what's the cost of that? Um, I've seen uh, a handful of times people who have tried, tried to do the keto diet 
and they've had significant decrease in performance. They haven't been able to complete a school. Like that's career impacting, that's a big deal. Um, so I want to make sure that, you know, they understand that and understand the cost of their decisions. And okay, let's, let's translate this to make it easier and more doable for you on a daily basis. Yeah. I love the fact that you said how we make this more actionable because that's ultimately just what it is, right? Like that's all we're trying to do is create some actions here. You know, another big thing too, I found is the idea of like the desire and the motivation to adhere to some such type of consistency. Um, and what, what I guess what I mean by that is like, how are you, how are you connected to food? And then how are you connected to your goal? How are you connected to the outlook of your life as a whole, right? And it's like, there has to be some kind of purpose, some kind of passion and some kind of motivation, you know, to allow for you to maintain that consistency. And, you know, I think that's a big thing, right? When we can, and again, I'm not trying to get super crazy down that path, but again, it's the same thing with nutrition. We need some kind of purpose to understand the food that we're putting into our mouth. We have to have some kind of passion to the type of food that we want to put in our mouth to fuel our energy. And then what's the motivation for us to be eating such a specific way to allow for us? That's that's ultimately kind of that that process that I look at or the roadmap that I would, I would follow uh, when it comes to anything. Uh, from an, an athletic endeavor to a personal endeavor to, you know, any of those things. And it just kind of carries over into all of those worlds. So again, I appreciate your time today and you again, opening the mind and, and, and letting me pick it. And then also going down some different paths with me on that. I know it's probably a little bit different, but I appreciate it. And if, you know, plug yourself in, if anybody needs to get a hold of you, um, search you on social media, uh, yeah, please go for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I really appreciate you having me on. I, I love to get the good word of performance nutrition out there. And hopefully I hit a couple points that are going to resonate with some people. Um, you guys can find me on Instagram at Diana Sports RD. Um, so message me if you have any further questions. I'm happy to um, answer them. Uh, but that's that's probably the best place you can find me. I'm not on Twitter that much anymore. Sounds good. Cool. Till then, guys, we'll see you soon. Cool. Thanks.